0: Uh, so, unlikely superstars, that's our, that's our combined topic that we are looking at, and, and uh, as I told people this morning, uh, the unlikely superstars, I don't necessarily uh, like the term superstars, uh, it's just because it's not something I'm striving for. It's not, probably not a thing anybody here is striving for, is it? It's not something that we really like. Uh, maybe our flesh kind of enjoys the, that attention. But, but as far as the kingdom is concerned, as far as what God wants us to do, that's not something that we're striving for. That's not something that we truly uh, want to have. But God does it when, when we're not expecting. So it's kind of an unexpected, unlikely superstars. That's just how God works. And that's what he does. Uh, just to share a little bit about our story, my story uh, with you so you get to know me just and also I can identify with this understanding of how God uses somebody who's unexpected, doesn't want to be used, and and God has a way of of just doing that. Uh, I was born in Chicago. My father was a was a pastor in Chicago, inner city Chicago, and uh, my my wife's father was a church planter in northern Minnesota and in Canada. They lived in Canada for a while, and and uh, so we understood what the ministry is like, just being part of that after. Uh, I had graduated in Chicago from kindergarten. Uh, we, moved to Chicago, we moved to Tucson, Arizona, or, or southern Arizona, Benson. And uh, anybody been to Benson before? Tucson? Tucson, though? Cool. All right. And uh, my, my father pastored a Del Norte Baptist Church down in Tucson. Uh, but anyhow, we, I grew up there, and that's where I call home. From there, I went to school, went to college in Wisconsin. Uh, I didn't want to come to the Midwest, uh, but they had football, and they promised me that I'd play. And uh, so I, I came, and not only that, as Christian, I can I can uh, appease my conscience of of going into the ministry, although I was fighting that, I was struggling with that, because I just didn't have the ability to get in front of people. I was scared, I was petrified. And I would sweat to death, and uh, and so I just, I tried to run from that as much as I could. What I did like was sports, and I liked football, and so I, I did that, and I pursued that. And uh, But only after two years of being in school, I, I I dropped out and moved to Dallas, Texas, just felt that, you know, this uh, Midwest life wasn't for me, and I didn't like the snow. And so I we went there and got a job, and was pursuing uh, sports there and, and, and a school there. And it was during that time that uh, I got cancer and uh, through two major surgeries and chemotherapy, uh, the doctors came in, didn't know if I was going to make it. Say, so we're calling your parents to come down from Wisconsin and Michigan and different places in the country, your family, because we're not sure if you're going to make it. Uh, it was there that my grandfather, whose wife, my grandmother, had passed away a few months earlier from cancer, sat on the edge of my bed as I was in the hospital there in Louisville, Texas. He, put his hand on me, he began to pray, and he says, you're not going to die, <laughs> you're not going to die, and we both were crying and praying, and, and uh, God did so, a, a miracle, I believe, did a healing, and uh, and and from that, uh, I recovered enough to go back to Milwaukee, continue my chemotherapy at Frederick Memorial Hospital there in, uh, in Milwaukee, while in the hospital there, going through my chemotherapy at that time, that many years ago, uh, chemotherapy was amazing, Major, a major deal. You go in the hospital for two, for a week, and I was in there. And uh, my sister brought her good friend and roommate to come visit me in the hospital, and she was hot. And uh, and so she uh, she took one look at me and said, "We've got potential." And uh, I had lost uh, about seventy pounds, had no hair, and uh, and looked pretty bad and uh but she did she saw potential and uh so she endured through that time and uh, about two years later we got married and she stuck with me for 33 years this november would be 34 years and uh <clears throat> and because of that uh we because of the cancer we could not have children knew that so both our children are adopted god has blessed us and uh and the journey's been awesome uh we went to Milwaukee as a youth pastor there from Milwaukee, went to the, uh, the heart of Iowa in the cornfields of Iowa from the inner city of Chicago, or, or Milwaukee to the cornfields of Iowa where we planted a church and God blessed. And we, from there, we went to the inner city of Chicago and uh, ministered there, lived there for 12 years. From there, moved to the tip of Door County. Talk about extremes, man. I am really, I, I messed up and need counseling all the time. But uh, but <clears throat> as I follow, followed that journey, and uh, there was a lot of struggle until I had the cancer as far as pursuing what God wanted me to do simply because I knew I couldn't do it. I just couldn't get in front of people. And, uh, and, and my heart wasn't there, but God did a work during that period that changed my heart, that I was willing to be submissive regardless of what my abilities were. Uh, I submitted to what God wanted us to do and wanted me to do, and God has directed our lives ever since. And so, I, I, never a superstar, <laughs> but just being faithful for God, and and then to be able to see what, what I believe God is doing up there in the tip of, of Door County. He's doing some awesome things. And, and, uh, and I believe he's going to do it throughout the whole county and state. And we're just going to get on together and do it together, all right, to do something together. I want to talk this morning, because by the way, I, I'm encouraged that God uses unlikely superstars. I'm encouraged that he used people like you and I that that, uh, that, that are, are, are perhaps, some of you are superstars, but, uh, but uh, the rest of us, we're just, God just using us, just who we are, wants to use us. And to me, that's encouraging, and I hope that's encouraging to you. And uh, so, the big picture is that this morning, as we're going to look at unlikely superstars, it is encouraging to know that God chooses unlikely superstars to do something. God wants to demonstrate His love, His grace, His mercy in great power through people like you and I. That ought to blow us away. He wants to do use His or, or demonstrate His power. His grace, mercy, and love through us, through you and I. Uh, so I want to look at the life of Paul and, uh, and and see why God chose Paul. And we're not going to look at the whole life because sometimes most of us have an idea who Paul is. Paul is this bigger-than-life man who who was probably the greatest missionary, greatest evangelist, wrote 14 books of the New Testament, uh, was this awesome guy. Who's ever going to look at him as an unlikely superstar? Who's going to look at him as someone, why would God choose him? Well, everybody knows why God chose him. I grew up being taught that the reason that God wanted to use him is because uh, of his Roman uh, citizenship and and uh, and, and being a Jew and knowing both Hebrew and Greek and, and, and being a Pharisee and, and all these different connections that he had and he was able to, to manage both of them and, and then to excel in his pharisaical uh, uh, roles uh, and as far as the law was concerned there's no one, of course God's going to want to choose him look at, he's smart, he's, he's got it all together and, he's, and he's, he's a Pharisee of all Pharisees man. There's, we understand why God, but that's not why God chose Paul I don't want us to look at that and I want us to apply that. How can we how can that make a difference in our life? So he says and he tells us in First Timothy chapter one. Paul writes in First Timothy chapter one and verse fourteen through sixteen. He says this. He says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am foremost. Uh, there's Paul's testimony right there. He says Jesus came into this world to save sinners who I am the worst. All right? That's, that's what, he's, what he's telling us. That's his personal testimony. He says, but he says, but I receive mercy For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, that means the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So the reason that God chose him, according to Paul, I was the worst of sinners. I I was a foremost sinner. And he did it because he wanted to show his his patience, his love, his mercy, his grace. And I was the example that's what he's telling us. I want to be an example to all the people, everybody is going to believe. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in Jesus, then that's you. He said, I'm that example. I'm an example of God's patient work. I'm an example of God's mercy. I'm an example of God's grace and what, what has happened in my life. I am that example. So that's why it's important for us. That's why we need to, to follow and see what it was, what happened in Paul's life who he was and what God did in his life and then recognize that God can do something like that in our lives and he wants to do it and he's doing it right now, all right? So Paul was the only apostle. Uh, that we know who ha- was not part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. In fact, Paul never mentions that he even knew Jesus prior to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not men- he's not mentioned or brought up until the f- w- f- way into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7 is the first mentioning of the apostle Paul. Uh, before that, we have no recorded, uh, re- recorded events that lead or introduce or show us uh, who Saul was. Uh, I suppose the most amazing thing is, not, is yeah, Paul was a pure perse- persecutor of the church. He killed more Christians than, than perhaps any of the other persecutors. Uh, but perhaps the most amazing thing that's why God would choose Paul is that he was perhaps the most dedicated Pharisee that ever lived. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but what that means is that, that as far as his own efforts are concerned, and as far as what he can do and the righteousness that he can perform, he was doing it. He was making it. He was, he was that Pharisee of Pharisee. He was, he was following the law. And, and this is a person that God's chosen to show us grace, someone that was opposed, almost opposed grace. So why did God choose Paul? The fact is that God chose Paul to be a vehicle to preach the gospel of grace and and. That ought to be a testimony. We're going to see why that's a testimony as we go, th- go through here. Paul was not a friend of the, any of the disciples. Uh, he was a, a pretty moral man. Uh, but he was anti-Christian. He was anti-church. He was anti-grace. He was anti-everything that the Christian would stand for. And not only that, but he was a persecutor of the Christians and probably ordered the death of Stephen. Now, if you're not familiar with Stephen, Stephen was one of the early church leaders and chosen to be one of the early, uh, perhaps a deacon within the church. And, but he, was a, he had an outspoken testimony, and, and, and because of that, it got him into trouble. So in Acts chapter 7, we're introduced to Paul, and, or to Saul, and, uh, and this is the first time, and I just want to read that. Acts chapter 7 and verse number 57, from that point on it says, uh, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed, toward, uh, rushed together at him. So it's talking about, when it says they, but they, it's talking about the group that were, that were opposing Stephen and what Stephen was talking about and what Stephen was preaching. And they rushed to him, and they rushed with a loud voice for the purpose of being able to stop his ear so nobody would be able to hear uh, what he had to say. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man. His name was Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Paul approved of the execution. Uh, there's a story. Then it goes on to ch- into chapter 8, and it says, and there arose the, on the next day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. When you read that story, the first thing that comes to your mind was there's like a mob action going to, out of control. They're taking Stephen and they're taking him out of the city and they're, and they're going to stone him. But the fact is, if, if we look cl- a little closer, we recognize that there's, it seems to be that there's a planned execution taking place here. One of the reasons we know that, that in, this, in the story that's given to us, it says that they came and they put their clothes next to Saul or by Saul as they went to Stone Stephen. Now, that's just not a frivolous type of, of detail that they're given to us. The reason he's given to that to us is because that was what often they did when there was an execution of this type. That the person who was in charge, they would lay the clothes down and then they would perform the execution. It says in verse number 1 of chapter 8, it says, and Paul approved of the execution. And, and, and a detail that is necessary for us so, just so that we know that, that that was important that he approved of it. So here we understand this, that Saul was in charge. It was because of Saul that they executed Stephen. It was his charge. The next time that we're introduced to Saul is in chapter 9. and verse number 1 it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters of the, from the synagogue at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul wrote about these days. In many of the letters that he wrote, he would... He would make reference to these days when he would do this, when we'd go from house to house dragging men and women to prison, when he was persecuting the church and he was and he's terrorizing the church. He wrote about it. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this about himself. He says, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 13, he says, How I persecuted the church of God violently and trying to destroy it. He's talking about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent of the church. Despite all the terrible things that Saul of Tarsus did, God was doing something that was much greater. It says that in that same verse in 1 Timothy chapter 13, though he was a persecutor, an insolent opponent, He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. unbelief." So despite the terrible things that Paul was doing, and all the the persecution that he was was putting out and, and, and hurting so many people, God was working in his life. Can you believe that? There's a miraculous... And unique conversion. I don't know about you, but when we hear about somebody who's doing that type of persecution to the church, we don't usually are are hoping and praying that God is at work in their life and they're going to save them. We're praying for a special task force to go out and take him out. That's what we're praying for. But while he was doing this, God was working in his heart. God was working in his life. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing conversion story. Um, Paul shares his own story and shares his own his own testimony. He tells us in Acts 26 he says this and this is Paul this is years after his conversion. He's relaying and he's telling what happened and what took place when he came to Jesus. He says this. He says when he <clears throat> and when he had all we had all fallen on the ground. That's because of the great light on the road to Damascus. Uh, as the story went, as they were on the road to Damascus, a great light came, and and because of that, they all fell on the ground. So he says, and when we had all fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, there's a little difference between Paul's Story and a story that's recorded in chapter nine. In chapter nine, the part there that it is hard to kick kick against the goats that goads that's not that's not in the first part, and or that's not in chapter nine. And the reason is is because Paul is telling his personal story. He's telling what's going on inside of his heart. He's recognized something now. He knew that even while he was persecuting the church, even while he was killing people, God was at work with him. Imagine this. Imagine that he is there presiding over the execution of Stephen, and Stephen is being stoned to death, and he looked, Stephen lifts his eyes to the Lord. Shannon's ear is a lot bigger, and so it just kind of hangs on there better, so mine's... No, we're, we're, it's, I don't know. Anyhow, we are, um, and so Stephen is being stoned and he is, looks, puts his face up and says, Lord, receive my spirit and, and Lord, don't lay this sin against their charge. You don't think that, that affected Paul or Saul? I, I believe that many of the times. When, when Saul was persecuting the church, he heard messages. He, he saw acts that he could not explain. When he saw, and so all that time, God is working in his life. And when it says it, says, it is hard to, of his own self, it was hard for me to kick against the goats. It was hard for me to resist what God was doing in my life because the whole time that he was killing people for the, for the sake of his religion... And, and, and while he was putting people in the, into jail, while he was a chief persecutor of the church, God was working in his life at the same time. And it was difficult for Paul to say no, but he did. And he went to a, one town to the next, and he kept on going. All the while, God is working until one day on the road to Damascus, he struck down. So the road to Damascus isn't the conversion story completely. It's not all about that experience that took place on the Damascus Road. It's all the time that led to that, all the time while he was persecuting the church. God was hard at work in his life and trying to be able to pull him. The Holy Spirit was working in his life all that different time. You know what? That's encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. That even in the times of our worst, God is still working in our lives and he's pursuing you. I'm so thankful that God does not give up, aren't you? I'm, I'm so thankful for that. My son is 27 years old. He lives in the in, uh, uh, Minnetonka area of, of, of Minneapolis there, if you're familiar with the Twin Cities there. Went to school at Crown College. Got kicked out of Crown College because of drinking. He went, lived in Milwaukee, got, some good, got two good jobs selling cars, an athletic director for the city of Oak Creek. And uh, all the time he was an alcoholic, and he's killing himself. He's 26 years old, and he's throwing up blood because the amount of the varicose veins in his esophagus. We're talking about symptoms of a person who's been drinking for, for 20, 30 years. My son's 26 years old. You know what mom and, his mom and I are doing? We're at home. How are we going to change this kid? We're thinking about everything that we possibly can. We're pursuing every type of intervention. We're trying to pursue finding somebody in Milwaukee that, that can speak to him, somebody to, to bust into his life and change him. And nothing was working. It consumed our lives. Really, consumed us. That's all we thought about. I get up a Sunday morning and preach, and I'm thinking about my son, and he's, and he's killing himself in Milwaukee. And finally he said, Sue, we can't, we can't do this anymore. But we're killing ourselves. So we have two options. This is what we're going to do from now on. This is it. We're going to pray, and we're going to love him. That's it. And we just committed to that. Four months later, I get a phone call from my son, Brock. His name is Brock. Pray for him. I get a call from my son, Brock, and Brock says, "Dad, I can't go on. I'm willing to quit my jobs. I'm willing to go someplace. I got it." Doc says I'm killing myself, and he says I don't have long to live. And I said, "Man, I just started bawling, I started crying." I said, Brock, I'll get, I, I, you get into a detox hospital right now and I'll find a place for you to go. He admitted himself into a detox hospital. He was there for th- for five days. I got him to redemption house in Minneapolis. And he was amid- at the redemption house for three months. That's a three-month period. At the end of the three months he says, i got to stay longer because in the middle of that three, three months, uh, God broke into his life, took everything, stripped everything away from him. His girlfriend, his life, everything he had. And he was broken and he repented of his sin. And he made his heart right with God and he stayed there for three months, and he knew he needed more, and he stayed there for two more, two more months, and then they brought him on staff, his volunteer staff, and for the last three months he's been volunteer staff. And two weeks ago they said, "Brock, we want you to be on paid staff," and so they just brought him on paid staff, and he's paid staff at the Redemption House, helping other addicts uh, be able to recover. So praise God that God never gives up on people's lives. That's the kind of God we have. Don't ever stop praying. That's what he does in the midst of that. And Brock calls me up. His whole life's changed. We don't talk about sports when he calls me up, because usually we talk about the Bears or we talk about the Cubs. Uh, I mean, excuse me. We talk about the Cubs or we talk about the Packers. And uh, serious, that's what he did. I don't know how that swear word slipped out. Anyhow, uh, Cubs and, and Packers. And, uh, and, and he calls me up and he wants to talk theology. He said, Dad, let's, let's, you think God's in charge of everything? <laughs> now, he's not asking me that just because he's curious. I mean, he is growing in his faith, and he wants to know. He says, because I think even in the worst of my addiction, God was in charge. I said, Brock, he was. God was there working in your life in the midst of your own addiction. You are kicking against the codes. It was hard, and that's his testimony now. We have a God who doesn't want to give up. So that's who Paul was. Paul was this guy. And his story is not the Damascus Rose. His story is that I'm an example of God's patience with me. Remember what it said in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 this is an example of God's grace and, and patience working in my life, drawing me to the place where that I'm going to give up, I'm going to quit. He's going to quit the life that he was trying to live before. You know what that life was? It was a life of righteousness. What Paul had to lose was, was a lot. I mean, physically, it was a lot. It was a life. It was a career. It was everything. And it was the best he could ever have Is what when in the area that he was. And he's given it up. But that wasn't the greatest thing. What the greatest thing is, he had to give up his own righteousness. Because as far as being righteous, he had achieved it. He had to come to a point where that he recognized that it wasn't my righteousness. It's what Jesus has done for me, and it is what God has done for me. And to me, that is perhaps the most important thing that we, can, <laughs> that we can get. He told us this in Philippians. Paul wrote these letters later on. He says this. He says, But whatever gain I had, I, count, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Jesus, to gain Christ. Never think what he's talking about here was material things. It's a wrong way to think about it. What he lost was his righteousness. Paul had gained it. But he had to come to a point that he recognized none of my righteousness matter at all. It's what Jesus has done for me, and it's his righteousness. And it's what God has imputed to me when I turn to Jesus. It's not about my righteousness so we would ask our own selves, am I willing to give up my own righteousness? And your response would be this probably, what righteousness? I am not righteous. A matter of fact, I find myself often condemning myself and seeing all the unrighteousness within me. So I'm not like Paul. And we would say that. But the fact is, because we'd merely say that, Because we say, I have all this shame because of my sin, and I have all this guilt because of my sin, I have all this unrighteousness because of my sin, and we we say that, uh, that lines us with Paul. You see, the only difference between us and Paul is that Paul did it and succeeded. We do it and don't succeed. And the only reason that we have shame and we have guilt that we allow to come into our lives and call ourselves Christians is because we haven't looked at what Jesus did on the cross for us. We haven't seen that it's by His grace and, it's, and that, that He has shed His blood so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. And, and we are continuously trying to do right enough to find acceptance of God. And when we don't do it, we feel condemnation and we feel guilt and we feel shame. And the mere fact that we feel those is our attempt to be righteous And God says it's not about your righteousness. It's about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And that's where Paul had to go. It might be a little bit different and look a little different for Paul's life. But it was just as wrong. He was trying to do it and made it. We try to do it and we can't. And we load our guilt and we load our shame on ourselves. And what God wants us to, to do is say, hey, it's not about your righteousness. It's about my son's righteousness. It's what he's done for you. So receive that. Take that, and that's what God wants. And, that, and that's, why, that's why Paul said, I'm an example. I'm an example to you. I'm an example to all of us. I've done this so that we can see God's patience, and we can see God's grace, and we can see his mercy, and we're not trying to do it on ourselves. You know, I believe this is the motive why Paul was able to, s- to plant so many churches. This is the motive why he was able to stay single. This is the motive why he was able to, uh, uh, to, to be this great evangelist and do all these wonderful things because he recognized that it wasn't because of his righteousness that he was going to do it, but it's because of what Jesus, and now he has surrendered. Now he says, I can't help but worship my Jesus. I can't help but worship my God for what he's done for me. That's his whole motive. That's why he's the greatest missionary that ever lived. Listen, if the church is ever going to do something, it's because we're going to get to a point that our efforts is going to be all because of God's grace to us, not because we're capable or we're able to do anything. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what he wants us to learn, and that's what he wants us to gain, and that's what he wants us to recognize. This is why he chose Paul. He also chose Paul because he's the worst of sinners. We already recognize that. First Timothy chapter 1, verse four, 14, 16, the end of 15, it says, uh, <clears throat> to, uh, to save sinners, that's Jesus came into this world to save sinners who I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that is, <clears throat> that is in me. As a foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example of those who are to believe unto eternal life. He said he is the worst sinner. That's why God chose him, because he's the worst sinner. Paul did not think that once he got saved, he was no longer a sinner. As a matter of fact, after he came to Jesus, he said this in Romans chapter 7. It says, for I do not understand my own action. For I do, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Then he says, Jesus can. And you recognize it's Jesus. Paul wants to remind us that God's power is in display, and that's what Paul wants us to see, and that's what God wants us to see. It's all about his power. He reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, But we have this treasure. In jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The emphasis is on God, not us. We're just, we're just jars of clay that He wants to use for His glory. So I'm just a weak vessel. I'm just a vessel. He, he reminded us that in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where He says, God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God has chosen was weak in this world to shame the strong, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's all because of God and he gets all the glory. Paul when he read this or when he wrote this passage there in 1 Corinthians, and he talked about not many foolish uh, in this world, uh, or, or excuse me, but God chooses what is foolish in this world to shame the wise, God chooses the weak of this world to shame the strong. Uh, I, I get the picture here that as he's writing to the church of Corinth and he's penning these words, he's looking at their church roles. And he's saying, Not too many strong, not too many wise. But it's just what I need to confound the the wisdom of the world and the strength of the world. That's just what I need. That's what I'm looking for because I use the weak. He did that with the apostles when he chose the apostles. Now, the apostles, some of them were well-known in their circle. and Some of them had a little wealth also. But he didn't choose them because of that. And he didn't use their fame, nor did he use their wealth in ministry matter of fact, they had to give it all up. Remember, they had to actually give it up, walk away from everything they had to follow Jesus. That's, that's who he chose, and, and that's who he wanted, and that's what he does in our lives. And perhaps God takes the database of Sturgeon Bay Community Church, and he looks at it, and he says, okay, I don't have the political elite or or those who are the movers and shakers in the community here. He looks at the database of Bethel Baptist Church and he says, <laughs> definitely you don't have it here. You've got some problems. And God says, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly what I want to, want to use to display my power. And so people would be able to not boast in anything but Jesus Christ. That's the way God's work, isn't it? That's the way he's worked throughout the whole Bible. Same thing he did when he chose Moses. Remember Moses, the burning bush, all the different things that happened? And, uh, and he says, no, I can't do it. I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. I, I, you must be making a mistake when he picked Gideon. He says, Gideon says, no, my family is the lowest of all the, all the tribes of Judah, and you're picking me. Not only that, but my family within my own, my own, my own uh, clan is the lowest, and you're choosing me. God chose them. I believe this: the new beginnings I hope we all do the new beginnings start with faith in the grace of God. Paul wrote, and I repeat again from First 1 Timothy 1:14, 1, "The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. God used the chief, sin, chief of sinners an example to show us what he wants to do. So how do we get this strength? How do we get the strength that God wants to give is to depend upon God's grace. If we're Christ followers, we're to recognize it's not my righteousness, it's not who I am, it's all in Jesus. I need to believe Jesus. I need to turn my heart and all my, my personal efforts of being who I am and I turn it to Christ. And, and if I'm not a Christ follower, I need to realize today that it's not about going to church and it's not about putting my money in the plate. It's about, it's about recognizing that I'm the chief of sinners and I need Jesus. I need to turn to Christ. I need to keep, quit kicking against the goats. And just turn it over to him and say, here it is, it's yours. So that's what he wants us to do. I believe this. <laughs> I shouldn't say I, keep, I believe this because this is what God's word says. So I hope we all believe this. It says Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, it says, I am sure of this, that who, he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. What God has begun, he's going to complete. and He's going to do it in us. He can't be stopped. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse number seven, it says, "But you have this treasure, as we read already, in earth and, and, and jars of clay, to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us." Romans chapter eight and verse number thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Tells us in First Corinthians fifteen. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in Christ, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. If you're a Christ follower, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're chosen. He pursued you. You might have kicked, but he pursued you until the day that you came to him and you called. And so not only did he choose you, he called you. And together is his chosen. Together is the ones that he's been called. We're going to do something for Jesus Christ. Where we're at. You know why? Because it's not up to our abilities. It's that I'm willing to surrender this will over to Jesus and recognize that he's the, God is the one that's going to be glorified and it's because of his power that works within this jar of clay. And so I don't have to put the pressure on me. I just need to surrender it over to Jesus. I need to receive the power that he's going to give, the grace that he gives us in order to be able to accomplish what he's going to do. And we're going to do something in Door County. And we're going to pray that the whole church up and down the peninsula does something. And there's a sweeping work of Jesus Christ. Are you familiar with Isaac Watts? Maybe not. <laughs> but Isaac Watts was one of the uh, our main hymn writers. Uh, we don't use hymnals anymore. We don't use them in our church anymore either. But those, hymnals, those hymns are some, some great stories and great theology. And I, I just want to share one with you. If you know Isaac Watts, he's, he's the one that wrote When I Survey the Wonders Cross. Do you remember that one? Uh, maybe just handful at the cross the hymn at last and did my savior bleed i am a soldier of the cross i mentioned that just so that you have a heart of who isaac watts is that's who he was he loved jesus he loved what he did for him when he went to the cross the hymn goes like this it's called it's called how sweet and awesome in the place all right excuse me is the place How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choices of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice, and rather starve than come. Twas the same love that spread the feast. That sweetly drew us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nation, O our God. Constrain the earth to come. Send your victorious word abroad. And bring the strangers home. We long to see your churches full. That all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing your redeeming grace. That's our desire. Let's do something for the cause of Christ with the power and the mercy and the love that God's given us through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love to us. We're undeserving of what you have given We too are sinners. We too need grace. And so Lord, I pray that you would use this community of believers and other communities that are meeting throughout this city and up and down the, up and down the peninsula. Lord, would you use us today? Would you lose, use us throughout this week and the coming years that, Lord, your word would be spread and, and Jesus would be made famous? God, I pray the hearts would be turned toward you. Would you do your work? Use us, Lord, for your glory, not for our glory, God, that your grace would become through us. Not that man would boast in man, but we would boast in you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, if there's one that needs to turn to the cross for salvation this morning, Lord, let it be the day that they quit kicking, and today's the day your Holy Spirit pulls them in. And Lord, I pray for every believer. Lord, help us to surrender, give it to you, live for you, be yours. Live under the power that you've given in these jars of clay. Show your mighty work. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.